Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of True Modern Christian. Today, we are going to be talking about God's promises. And I think the first thing we have to understand is that God's promises are met. He is incapable of lying. Um, so if you look at Numbers 23, uh, 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Has he, has he said and shall he not do it? Or has he spoken and shall he not make it good? So he can't lie. The one true living God cannot lie. So if he says he will do something, if he says something will happen, it happens. We have the entire Bible, which is his word, meaning that if we're looking for a, a definition of the promises of God, it would be the Bible. The whole Bible is his, is God's promises. Now, some people have gone through and made an attempt to count the promises. Uh, some up to 30,000 people. One effort came through and said there was 8,810 promises that 7,487 of them were made by God to humanity. Um, so there's a whole lot of promises in there. And as a Christian, what, what do we look towards uh, by means of promise? The first is uh, kind of defining what is a promise that we um, if we, you know, if we promise somebody something, that means that we've said we'll do something with the full intent of doing it, and that promise should be a guarantee that we'll carry it out. So that's kind of our goal as people. But if we were incapable of not fulfilling those promises, if we made a promise to somebody and they and we had no ability whatsoever to then not fulfill that promise to not do what we said, um, that would be the case with God. Obviously, we're not like that. People make promises all the time. Yeah, I'll be there. Yeah, I'll do that for you. Or, oh, sure. Or, or I swear, that's the truth. Um, and it may not always be. It may not always come to be what they say they will do. And we know that about people. We expect a higher level from Christians, but we could still be disappointed in one another in the fact that we're human and we may not always uh, achieve that <laughs> that uh, high level of perfection that we desire. Uh, but God, he is incapable of not fulfilling those promises. So I just want to establish it kind of as a, a, a foundational thing that if God says it, it will happen or he will make it happen. If he says it, he'll do it. Uh, there's no going back on it. And so we can read in the Old Testament, we can read in the New Testament, a tremendous amount of promises. And um, we'll just go through and look at some of them today, uh, some that uh, uh, directly affect us, that in our faith, day-to-day, uh, -day, our belief in Christ, in our relationship with Christ, with God, uh, that things may come into question. And I know the, the first thing we have to be certain of is, or we have to make a decision of, is that we believe the Bible, that we take the Bible to be God's Word. If we don't have that as our foundation, if we don't agree 
that the Bible is God's word, that means that we will go through it and we will just pick and choose the things that we find most convenient. We will kind of put together a package of a God that suits our lives as opposed to attempting to suit to conform our lives to what would suit God. So we have to be convinced in our own mind that the Bible is God's word. It's the truth, that it's inerrant, it's infallible, it is the truth. So if we come to that decision in ourselves and we agree that we will accept what the Bible says as the truth, um, that, that I just want to say that that's very, it's easier said than done. It, 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 it takes a lot to get to a point where you have, you will speak, yes, I believe the Bible. The Bible is God's truth. I may not always understand it. I may not be able to uh, apply my knowledge of science and modern physics, understanding of the quantum realms, understanding of the universe. I may not be able to apply that and still come to a, a way that particular things in the Bible could possibly happen. I don't have that understanding, but I have to make a, a conscious decision that I will accept that I may not know the full mind of God, that I may not be able to explain the things that God does. I may not know his reasons. I may not know how it's even possible the things that have happened in the Bible, but I can make that decision that it's true. I will take it as the truth, as God's word. So if I've done that, I've taken a big step. It's very difficult to get to that point where you can accept God's word as the truth. But once you get there, then what happens as you grow as a Christian, you find that even though you said you believe it, you'll find your nature is still to have doubts, that there will still be things that come up in your life or as you experience a day, as you go through your day, there will still be things that you uh, will find there's doubt in your heart. Uh, if you've done something wrong, if you've done something against what God says you should do, or you've behaved in a way that was uh, not appropriate to what is described as a good way to behave in the Bible, um, maybe you've you've thought things, you've said things, uh, you know, everybody's had that thing where you walk away from a conversation and you go, oh, that was a terrible, I shouldn't have said that. Um, things like that. And then you're in that place of forgetting that you're forgiven, that forgetting that God said he will never leave you nor forsake you. Never. That That is impressive of a statement that I don't think we realize the the depth of it. In day-to-day -day life, in this world, people can say, oh yeah, I love you forever, or I'll, I'll be there when you need me, or yeah, just holler if you need something, or, you know, all of those things that people have said, that we've said probably, and then there's no follow-up. <laughs> we don't back it up with anything, <laughs> and we've seen that in this world. But God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And it's difficult to appreciate the enormity of that statement. One, never. Never? Not even one moment? Not even when I was a jerk? Not even when 
I was behaving wrong, not even when I doubted you, not even, you know, an endless amount of, you know, not even then. No, he says never. That means he's always with us. He will never forsake us. Means he'll never turn his back on us. He'll never deny us. He'll never say, hmm, I don't, I don't know what that guy's doing. I don't know who he is. I've never talked to him before. He won't do the Peter thing of, no, I didn't, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not with that guy. Christ will never do that. We've called on him. So we have, uh, the, that level of promise in, uh, he, here's one in Corinthians that God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God's faithful. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. That's from Psalms 33.4. One of the the biggest things that I think Christians struggle with, or or that we have trouble with, is as we're getting to know the character of God— and that takes thorough reading of the Bible and reading it and reading it and reading it. And we know that as we read it, we come back to something we've already read before, but this time it somehow says something different to us. The message seems to have changed as we've grown in our relationship with God. Uh, we're like, really? I, I don't remember that sentence ever being there before, even though I've read it 10 times. And now it says something different. Part of that is as we mature, God's level of love towards us grows our awareness of that love. So uh, in Jeremiah chapter 29, 11, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Then shall you call upon me and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. There's a lot of promise in there. The first is that God is revealing his thoughts that he has towards us. And by us, I mean those that come to him through Jesus Christ. That is the the one, the only way to the Father, one true way to the Father. There is no other way but through Christ to the Father. So for us that come through Christ and put our faith in Christ, our belief in Christ, and begin our relationship with Christ, God says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, thoughts of peace and not of evil. So the the version of God that is just waiting to zap our face, that's waiting to strike us with lightning or waiting to trick us into a bad situation because we've been behaving badly or is looking to spank us for misbehaving. Uh, he says he has thoughts of peace towards us and not of evil. Those other things I just mentioned, those would be evil. If he was looking to hurt us, he was looking to cause calamity in our lives. If he was looking to tear us up, to tear us down, to uh, ruin things in our lives, those are evil. That, that's what an evil being might try to do to you. So our God being not evil, being love, his thoughts towards us are of peace. And, and so imagine 
the one true living God, the creator of the universe, looks at you, you specifically, and he thinks peaceful thoughts towards you. He has love towards you. Uh, he, he looks forward to the things you do. He wants to spend time with you. He cherishes you. You're valuable to him. Wow. That's a lot different than what you might get in many organized religions. You might get the, if you do this, you get this. If you behave, and once you get your act together, God will love you. Once you're able to prove your worthiness, you're able to uh, stand as a perfectly righteous being, then God will turn some love towards you, and, and only for as long as you keep behaving. And as soon as you mess up again, ah, you're out of there. No more love. You know, you're on your own. I've forgotten about you. That's, that's not the God of the Bible. His word does not describe him in that fashion. And we, it's very difficult for us to come to an appreciation of that or an understanding of that because most of our daily exposure to any type of information is in this world. So if we look at a news source, if we're on social media, if we're out on the street, if we're going into a store or a restaurant or we're walking somewhere or driving, our exposure is to other fallible beings. That's what we see all day, every day in most all of our activities. So when we spend time in the Word, and we spend time praying and in a relationship with God and learning the character of God and learning Christ, we see a vast difference that it, that is difficult for us to accept. It's tough for us to just fully rest in what the Bible says God is and just go, oh yeah, totally. He's just totally love. Um, he's holding me. He's protecting me. He adores me. It's hard for us to come to that if we don't, uh, because we don't see a lot of that in the world these days, um, and maybe ever, maybe, it, you know, it's never been there. Human character has not changed as God's character has not changed. He's the same God as he was and always will be. So these things, this is not, uh, they don't become outdated. The Bible doesn't become a old historical document or an archived mythology. It doesn't become something that people believed back then, but now we're so much smarter than that. Uh, so any of those false things that you hear out in the world are the implications that there's no need to be looking at this old school stuff when we have new modern philosophies. We have better ways of being. We have uh, deeper thoughts into things now and, and we're smarter now. And it's none of that rings true in the face of a of a never changing God, an unfaltering, unfailing always present, always loving us, God. These promises are great, and spending time in the promises uh, will reveal to us more of his love for us. So we have other promises, and they don't use the word promise, but if you look at the nature of them, they are a promise. So First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there's a difference there in that uh, 
some religions, you might go and you confess your sin, and somebody there that says they're a representative of God could say, okay, in order to get through this sin you've just done, say this amount of prayers or this type of prayer, say these kind of things, and then you'll be on your, you'll be good, you'll be on your way to go again. But what changed was their actual repentance, was there an actual supernatural work performed that changed our heart, that turned us into that new creature uh, that has different views, different thoughts, different feelings, different attentions in this world. Um, so if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Why is he just? Because we've just sinned. So can you just sin? And then you say, hey, I sinned. And he's like, cool, I forgive you totally. And But where's the justice? Where's the demand for payment for that sin? That came through Jesus Christ. That's why God can forgive us, because we come to him in the name of Christ and confess our sins, meaning that we see this is a way of life that is not conforming to God's will for us and how he would have us be. We recognize that. We want to turn to it. So he's faithful and just to forgive us because Christ paid for that very sin that we just committed. Christ paid for it. And then even more importantly, that he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Wow. That's huge because we know if we've spent any time looking at our behavior in this world as a Christian, we know we are not made up of righteousness ourselves. We know that we are insufficient in ourselves to perform righteous deeds, to think righteous thoughts, to be righteous in our core. That's not who we are. We are more devious, more diabolical, more self-centered, more uh, ungodly than that on our own. Only Christ, only the Holy Spirit can change the inner nature of a person and change our very way we look and experience the world. Only Christ can do that. That's not something we can just do through an act of will. We are insufficient of ourselves to do that. So it takes God working in us, cleansing us from that unrighteousness, scrubbing out our inner workings, uh, rotorootering our normal piping, and giving us a, a different way of being in this world. There, there's more promises here that uh, in Psalms 23, 1, 6, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There's a lot more to that, but not wanting. So in part, if we find ourselves wanting, if we find ourselves like, oh, I don't have the things I need. Oh no, something isn't going to work out in the future. Oh, I wish I had that. If I only had that or I, that, if I could have that green grass over there, it'd be so much better. Any of those things where we're looking somewhere else or hoping for something different than what we have is a want. We are wanting what the Lord has not currently provided us with. And that is our expression of doubt, that we doubt that he is taking care of us. We think, again, that it's up to our own sufficiency that we have to do it. One of the, the greatest 
understatements in the Bible, if not the greatest understatement, is when Christ said, my grace is sufficient for you. Sufficient, meaning like it's enough. And it makes us think that it's a small thing. It makes us think it's little. But if we look around at our life at how sufficient that grace actually is, it will it, it routinely blows my mind that the grace so far exceeds anything I could imagine. And that doesn't mean, again, like I said before, a, a big pile of money. I can imagine a big pile of money. Ooh, if I had a big pile of money. I can think that. I could I can imagine that in my mind. And that's not what we're talking about when we talk about grace. God's grace is sufficient for everything that we could possibly need in this world. And and when we fully trust in that, when we rest in him, that's when we don't want. We're like, hey, you know, this is absolutely wonderful what I have. <laughs> and we're we're content. So there you go on that. Other promises that he has is for our salvation is for everlasting life, is that we will become a new creature. These are amazing to know that we have access to this simply by believing in Christ, by starting a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, that we become a part of the body of Christ, meaning that Christ is not fallible. Christ doesn't have illnesses. Christ doesn't experience rheumatoid arthritis. Christ doesn't uh, skin his knee. He is perfect. He's perfection. And so that body that we're part of must be perfect. Doesn't mean we individually have that sufficiency of perfection. We are not. We are clearly not perfect. And and any part of our day we could look at and see a demonstration of where we are not perfect. But so how do somehow we become a part of this body that now is perfect? Uh, how can we even fit in there? That's like getting a knee replacement surgery, but putting a, a gnarly burr or a bone chip in there instead of a nice new stainless steel, highly machined precision knee. Like we're putting a, a glob of us into something in that, in that something that's perfect. How does that even work? It works because Christ is the perfection. We are not. We can't expect that from ourselves. We will never meet that criteria. We will never demonstrate that to others, our perfection. Nobody will ever be able to see us as perfect because we're certainly not. It's not possible to see us as perfect. But somehow, when we are wrapped in Christ, that we are grafted in to that vine, that we now in the view of God, we are perfect. We are represented by Christ. So it's like we stand behind Christ. He talks to God on our behalf, and God sees him and says, you're my son who I'm well pleased. And all of us behind him get that benefit. 
we just, we get it because we are with Christ and he represents us. He is our intercession forever to the Father. So call on the name of Christ, talk to Christ, love Christ, understand who Christ is uh, by reading the Bible and talking to other Christians that are reading the Bible. If we just go about looking on social media for quotes or quips about God or Christ, we'll probably miss out a lot. We'll also probably be reading a lot of misleading thoughts about Christ or God. We'll be seeing things that are made up by the devil to convince us otherwise, to take us away from Christ. The best thing we can do is to read our Bible, the King James Version, and to spend time with God and Christ and ask for that discernment, ask for that ability to hear the truth, to see the truth, to know the truth, so that when we come across something that is maybe not obviously untruth about God, we will have the necessary tools. We will have the discernment. We'll be able to recognize it as not from God. So when we see uh, people calling for a one-world religion, or we see people saying that, you know, it doesn't matter if you're if you're Buddhist, if you're Muslim, if you're Jewish, if you're Catholic, if you're Presbyterian, if you're uh, uh, into any, you know, if you'd like crystals, nothing, if you're an atheist, you know, none of that matters. Let's just all come together and agree that we all believe in, in the same God. And we don't. I want to make that clear. We don't all believe in the same God. The one true living God is in the Bible and specifically in the King James version of the Bible, that translation. Others you know, if you hear the Pope talking about the the Father or talking about God, um, you're not hearing about the one true living God. You're hearing about a satanic misrepresentation, a angel of light that deceives people. You're if you believe that the Muslims pray to the same God as you, you're that is misleading information. They do not pray to the same God. They pray to a satanic God. So be very careful in when people say God, because people that knowingly or unknowingly worship Satan call him God. So God doesn't mean as much uh, without the reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's people talking about Jesus, but it's not the Jesus of the Bible. They will say, oh, in Jesus' name, I'm doing this. Or, And if you remember, in the Bible, there is the portion where Christ says, uh, many many will come to me and say, I've, I've done miracles in your name, and I have uh, cast out demons in your name, and he will say, I never knew you. That's, that's pretty powerful that there are people out there using the name of Jesus and they're not talking about our Lord Jesus Christ. If they 
can't say that the Christ of the Bible is their Lord and the Lord, the King of Kings, the one true living God, the Son of God, who is God. If they can't say those things, they're talking about a different Jesus, not the Jesus of the Bible. So it's so important that we ask God for the open eyes and the open ears, the ability to discern the deceptions from the one true living God. It's crucial. Everybody's soul depends on it. Everybody's life depends on it. How we experience this world depends on it. And how we experience the next world depends on it. It's very important. It's the single most important thing a person can ever do is to confirm their their love for the one true living God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing a person could be could do in their life. Not get a degree, not have a high paying career, not have a mansion or be the biggest sports star in the world or a huge rock star, not any of anything on this world. None of those compare to what we have to do is to confirm our relationship with the one true living God, the Lord Jesus Christ. So understanding some of the promises help us understand some of his relationship, or, or I mean, some of his character, and that affects our relationship with him. So here's some great ones. Uh, so in Isaiah 41.10, Fear you not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. So first, don't be afraid. I'm with you. Don't be dismayed, for I'm your God. So nothing else can compare. In this world, if you know the one true living God, then this world should not dismay you. You should not be uh, confused by this world. You should not uh, be taken in by this world, overwhelmed by this world. You know that your God uh, has a different plan for you than what this world. He says, I'll strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. So not only should we, don't we have to be afraid, don't be dismayed. God's going to strengthen us and he's going to help us. We may not get that from anyone else. When you, when you think about, uh, this world and you think about, you know, sometimes it's, it's tough just to get somebody to help you to move. You got to bribe them with some pizza. Uh, or, you know, you call that person with the truck and you're like, Hey, I know you have a truck. Can you help me move my stuff? Um, but God says, I will strengthen you, meaning that we can get through whatever's being thrown our way and he says, I will help you. So not just strengthen us so that we can get through it, but then help us through it. Whether it's standing in front and clearing the path. I think of kind of like a bulldozer in the snow or a big snow shovel on the front of the trucks that just goes forth and clears this path and scoots everything to the side. I think God does that. He says, I'll uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. I kind of picture the Heisman Trophy with them. Uh, holding us in one hand and pushing stuff away with his other hand as we're trucking through life. He cares for us. He loves us. He's looking out for us. Um, always watching, always planning. I think we, we can't possibly know 
the amount of times in any given day that God intercedes for us, that he stands in front of us and keeps something away that would be harmful to us. And uh, and Christ, he said, you know, in this world, you will have tribulations. He says that. So when we become a Christian, we should not be, uh, don't fool yourself into thinking that you'll never have any difficulties, that everything will be just peaches and roses and and puppy dogs and rainbows, and it'll just be wonderful. You'll have a, a peace for every moment for the rest of your life, and then you'll just pass in your sleep. And you can't expect these things. He says, in this world, you will have tribulations. He also says, people will hate you uh, for Christ's sake. They hate First, they hated him, so they'll hate us that declare him. If you find yourself, uh, and many of us have experienced this, you'll find yourself in a situation where somebody who hates God with no provocation will hate you. You wouldn't have even said anything, but there'll be an immediate dislike for you. And it's because it's a part of them recognizes a part of you. And when you are a Christian and now the Holy Spirit lives in you as you go about your day, whether you're feeling it or not, whether you're cranky that day or grumpy or mad or you, you know, whatever, there's a part of you that is still glowing with the Holy Spirit. And those that are anti-Christ can detect it and they won't even know why they don't like you, but they won't like you. And it'll be immediate. You wouldn't have had to have opened your mouth. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's easy for, uh, to cause trouble once we open our mouth. But there'll be times that you'll notice you haven't done a single thing, but somebody will dislike you. We'll get over it. They like, they dislike you. They hate you because they hate Christ. Those that love Christ won't feel that way towards you. And you'll see that over and over wherever you go. Uh, and, th- and then there's this somewhere in between, which I think we've begun to embrace here in the United States and maybe around the world, uh, this, this lukewarmness where, yeah, they're, they're neither really for or against Christ. They're not for or against the devil. You know, they're not, uh, really anything. Maybe they, uh, or they get their chakra aligned on a regular basis or, uh, they cleanse their crystals in salt water and sunshine, uh, or they face west while they eat or, you know, whatever, but maybe they're not too dedicated to really anything one way or the other. And most of those people will be fine with you. You know, they'll, they'll take you as you are and, uh, doesn't really bother them one way or the other, they won't have an immediate hatred for you. But those that are against God will immediately hate you. They will have a strong and violent internal reaction to your very presence because you are a part of Christ and Christ is a part of you. You're walking through the world as a a part of the body of Christ. And that will be easily recognizable by those that hate Christ. So you just have to know that and don't be shocked when it happens. So let's see what else we have here. So here's a, an amazing promise from Christ in John 11, 25, 26. 
Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believe thou this, he says to her. And I think it's important that we answer that question for ourselves. Do we believe this? That Christ is the resurrection and he is the life? That if I believe in him, though I was dead, now I'll live. And that whosoever lives and believes in him will never die. Do we believe that? We have to answer that for ourselves because that's part of God's word and it's words directly from Christ who can't lie. So if he can't lie, then we have everything we need to go ahead and believe that. <laughs> if somebody is incapable of lying, then it's you shouldn't really even need to question, do you believe it or not? You should just believe it, right? That's We should just believe this. But we might find that we doubt that at times. We might find that we don't always... Uh, passionately and fervently believe the truths that God and that Christ say to us in the Bible. Uh, okay. But the God of all grace, who has called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. This is very important because I, that was First Peter 5.10, because I, I think what happens is, let's say you go to a church, maybe they do an altar call, or somebody prays with you, maybe it's a street preacher, and they pray with you, and you're like, yes, I want to, I, I turn my life over to Christ. Maybe you were in a charismatic church, and they you got carried up in the spirit, and you they spoke in tongues over you. Maybe you were, you know, any any condition that might have led to you saying, I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord. As soon as you do that, all the powers of hell will come against you to convince you that you were wrong, that you should not pursue Christ. So you will have this experience that this talks about. After that, ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. That's the early life of a Christian. And that can happen also throughout your life as a Christian. There can be times where you are being buffeted from the left and the right and the front and back, top, bottom, everywhere things are coming against you. And you're like, what's happening? And it's all the powers of hell trying to convince you to walk away from Christ. And it will try any means possible, including giving you a false Jesus to follow. And that's what we see so much of. People will say, I accept Jesus Christ as the Lord of my life. I believe that he died, he rose, and and paid for my sins through that action. And, and you'll say that. And then Satan will say, hey, here's a Jesus for you. And you could easily be off believing an entirely different Jesus than the one of the Bible, the true Son of God, the one true living God. So be very careful in what you listen to, what you read, where you spend your attentions, and most importantly, 
pay attention to anyone claiming Christ to see if it's the Christ of the Bible, to make sure that it matches the Christ of the Bible. Because there are a lot of false Jesuses, and Jesus even said that. Many will come in my name. Many will come in my name. Not just like one guy, not just a David Koresh, you know, that you look at and you're like, hey, that's a cult. I'm not falling for that. Many will come in his name. There's a guy right now uh, performing, I can't remember his name, but he's performing miracles and he has followers and they believe he's the return of Jesus. And he's happy to let them believe that. They're giving him money. They're giving him praise. They're holding him up as as larger than life. And he now has a following. That is not Jesus. Jesus didn't say he was going to come back and, you know, have a PR campaign to try and get people to follow him on social media. And he was going to give away a, a Cadillac to whoever believed him the most. And, you know, you just have to be very careful when people talk about God. Are they talking about the God of the Bible? When they're talking about Jesus, are they talking about the Jesus of the Bible? Only those that can say that Jesus Christ is the Lord, that he is God, are the ones talking about the one true Jesus Christ. Anything else is a deception. So be careful, pay attention, watch that. Um, that's about it for this week. Uh, we have a lot more promises that we could do, just like every week. We have a, a ton more that we can do. Um, but I'm hoping that everybody has a great remainder of their week. If you like this, please subscribe, tell people about it. Uh, if not, tell me, give me comments, let me know uh, where where I went wrong. Like I said, I'm definitely not going to be perfect and I may say the wrong thing sometimes. So please uh, leave me comments if you feel like I have. And I hope you guys have a great week. I love you. God bless you. The one true living God bless you. And I will talk to you later. Bye-bye.